Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Good morning. Welcome. Boy, it's good to be here with you guys. Uh, Welcome to all of you in the room. A special welcome to those joining us online. We are glad that you're here to worship. My name is James. I'm the senior pastor here at OCC. I hope I've had a chance to get to meet you. If not, grab me afterward and introduce yourself. Grab your Bible. We are going to study together. When we come together to worship, we worship in song. We worship in lots of ways through fellowship. But we always want to study God's Word. And we are in the gospel, pardon me, the book of Acts. Uh, Dr. Luke is sharing the things that are going on with the apostles who are plugged in to the Holy Spirit. And we're going to hit a portion of this text today that is honestly a big chunk of Scripture that is super, super challenging. So I'll just give you that warning right up front. This is going to help us address the reality that we are generally most comfortable around people who are like us. I don't think I'm really, you know breaking any new news like we get that we tend to hang out with people who look like us and talk like us and act like us and that wouldn't have to be so dangerous but there seems to be this companion ideology that goes along with this notion and this isn't for everybody but doggone it it seems like it's almost everybody for a whole lot of us it's not just that we tend to hang out with people who are like us but we exhibit prejudice towards people who are not like us And we might not call it prejudice. We might just call it partiality. It's actually the word Dr. Luke is going to use when we finish up this passage next week here later in chapter 10. But we display it. We display this prejudice. Prejudice is defined as having a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. And prejudice is real. It happens all around us. And it happens so often that now even if we try to address it, if we try to overcome it, It's become really difficult because people immediately go into combat mode, right? We try to talk with different groups of people who are experiencing prejudice. Instead of digging in, instead of working towards a solution, we'll just loudly say, but I'm not, you know, whatever. I'm not racist or I'm not sexist or I'm not ageist or I'm not anti this or anti that. I grew up in a, in a really racially diverse area, about 50% black, 50% white, in a little town in southeast Missouri. And the number of times I had this discussion, goodness, it just, I, I couldn't even begin to count. But I'd talk with people about this, and they'd say, well, I'm, I'm not racist. I don't even see color. And I don't think that's as good an argument as people think <laughs> that it is. <laughs> because what they're truly saying is, well, I don't see the fact that God created people differently. And he fearfully and wonderfully made these people to look like this. And, and, and so what we're really saying is, well, I just wish everybody was the same. When we know they're not the same. Amen? I think we should see color. And I think we should see gender and nationality and political differences and ideological differences in people. But then we have to ask this question. How can I care about that person? How can I love that person? How can I know some things about their life and their experience in a way where I can leverage those things in order to tell them about Jesus? That's really the big question when we encounter people who are not like us. Are we asking, how can I tell them about Jesus? Are we asking, how can I make them to be more like me? I said, I I grew up in a, a really poor, very black 
neighborhood. Actually, there were only three white guys in my elementary school class. And so growing up, all my friends were black. Like if I was standing behind a curtain on one of those game shows where they hide you, you know, and like you, know, you didn't see me and you heard me talk when I was a kid, you would think I was black. I guarantee it. That's just how I spoke. That's the way that I grew up. And I didn't understand that God was allowing that experience for me to leverage it in ministry. But it turns out he was because he's pretty smart. But, but I remember years later down the road, I was doing Young Life ministry. And I'd go hang out at the high school. And I wish this wasn't the case, but we know it is. I would go hang out in the lunchroom and I would hang out at a table of black guys. And then I would walk across the lunchroom to go hang out with a table of white guys. But there were no tables in the middle (laughs) where there were white and black guys sitting together. That just didn't happen. In this school that was 50% white and 50% black. And that's sad to me. But the thing that I didn't really realize that everybody else was noticing, when I'd hang out with the black guys, I'd talk like a black guy. And that wasn't hard for me to do. I'd grown up like that. And so I'd go stand at the black table and say, what's up, Playo? You stay at Big Mom's house last night? We go to the park run? And, and, you know, and, and they, they'd talk back to me. I'd be like, you know? And I didn't know. I was just talking like them, right? But, but then I'd go over to talk to my table of white guys. And one day one of them called me out. <laughs> And he was, I actually sent a message to this kid on social media this week. It's like, I'm going to tell that story because I remember talking to him about it. He knew me and he knew that I wasn't trying to be racist or whatever, but he called me out. I walked over to this table of white guys and he goes, how come you talk differently to them than you do to us? And he wasn't trying to pick a fight or whatever. Again, I know this kid, love him. And he said this, he's like, was your mom black? <laughs> And now one of the other kids there who didn't know this kid as well, but knew me really well, knew my story, he was going to stand up for me. He was like, his mom's dead. Cut it out. And like, I ended up starting this big fight, which was not my intention whatsoever to start the fight in this lunchroom. But, but here's the deal. I actually did have an intention. I doubt very few of the kids in that schoolroom in Southeast Missouri knew it that day. But this is actually what we see from the Apostle Paul. These are his words in 1 Corinthians. He shared this. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. Why? In order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. Why would you do that, Paul? That I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Paul knew he was not outside the law of God. He was under the law of Christ. He did that that he might win those outside the law. To win the weak, I became weak. Why? That I might win the weak. I become all things to all people. Why? By all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Anybody looking for a good life verse? Here's one. Are we doing this? Now, please don't take this instruction out of context, okay? Because if you read on in 1 Corinthians in the next few verses, Paul's very strict in explaining. He doesn't go out and indulge in sin, right? He doesn't go out and engage in sin so he can win people. He can get an audience to share the gospel. But he's going out learning about people, learning about their backgrounds, learning about their habits, speaking their language. Why? So we can tell them about Jesus. And here we sit in the church building today. And maybe some of us are starting to wiggle in our seats a little bit because this is getting uncomfortable. But, but if we can't address this here, where can we address this? 
Because when we come together here, what we're wanting to do is open God's word and see what it's trying to teach us so that we can go out and apply it in our lives for his glory. And that's what's going to happen in this passage today. Dr. Luke is going to share with us how a guy named Peter and a guy named Cornelius learned to not be prejudiced against one another for God's glory. So the gospel will go forward, right? This is super important. This is super practical for us today because God has put us in this planet where we interact with lots of other people. And all those people are supposed to have the opportunity to respond to the good news that God created them and he loves them. And he wants every single person he created to spend eternity in heaven with him. Now, yes, we have to die to our own sinful desires. We have to profess faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ, to do that. But, but that's God's end game. That's been his plan all along. We see it in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. John shares this vision that God gave him. It says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from where? Every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. God wants everyone to be saved, and everyone there means everyone. There's no wiggle room whatsoever. People of all nationalities, people who speak different languages than you and I, people who don't look like us or act like us or think like us, and in theory, sometimes we get real excited about that idea until God asks us to be the person to go to share with somebody who's not like us, right? One of the saddest stories I ever remember encountering is the story of Mahatma Gandhi. In his autobiography, he wrote as a young man while he was still in school, he read the Bible. He loved the Gospels, absolutely loved them. And he was super curious because this Jesus that he encountered in the Gospels, man, he seemed like the real deal. And Gandhi was seriously considering professing faith in Christ because he believed that the teachings of Jesus could help him find the solution to the caste system that exists in India. If you're not aware, the caste system is just horrible discrimination based on social hierarchy. It's not determined by your intelligence, your aptitude, whatever. It's simply by birth. It's a very real struggle for the people in India. So if we just see the people from India and we don't see their color, we don't consider their struggle. We're not being like Paul. We're not becoming all things in order to share the gospel. But anyway, one day young Mahatma Gandhi was going to go to a church near where he was going to school, a Christian church. And he walked in dressed in his traditional Indian wardrobe. That's what he had. And he walked in and an usher in the lobby of the church said, you're not welcome here. Why don't you go worship with your own people? And Mahatma Gandhi left and never returned. Never went back to the church. Church, are we doing this to people in America today? If someone wants to come into the church and they don't look like us or think like us or act like us, are we going to send them to go be with their own people? Instead of making them feel welcome to come and be with God's people? In his autobiography, Gandhi wrote this, if Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. One of Gandhi's most famous quotes is one that just cuts me to the core every time I hear it or read it. He was speaking with a Christ follower later in his life, years after this experience, and he told this guy, I've read the Bible. I love your Christ. 
I don't like your Christians. Ouch. That should sting. But is that the same thing we're telling people who we turn away from learning about the love of Christ? Because they think differently than we do. They act differently than we do. They look differently than we do. In whatever capacity, it could be their skin color, could be their chosen particular sin practice, their particular chosen belief. Church, do we care enough about people to love them where they are, but want so much more for them that we don't want to leave them where they are? We want to love them where they are and point them to Jesus? And hear me on this, okay? Because I'm not saying we're supposed to turn a blind eye towards any sin issues that people struggle with. But how can we introduce them to Jesus instead of just telling them they're not welcome because of how they look or act or believe? Here we are. We are the church in 2023. We know what we're up against in this world that's filled with prejudice. I don't know that we think about how prolific this issue was back in the biblical times. But they were struggling with some of the same things we're struggling with today. If we read God's word and we don't think about this issue of prejudice, if we don't think about the divide that it caused, we're missing a huge part of the context. I'm not trying to give a history lesson, but basically the ancient Greeks divided the whole human race up into two categories, just two. Greeks and everybody else. (laughs) And everybody else they called barbarians. And I'm not making this up because you can't make this up. The the reason they called them barbarians was because they didn't speak Greek. And so whatever language they were speaking, whatever sound they tried to make to the Greeks, it sounded like bar, 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 bar. And so that's why they called them barbarians. There's a Greek historian on record, I hope rhetorically asking, how can men who bar, bar, bar ever rule the world? And that has not changed much today. This is not just in the U.S., but but it happens here. We tend to think wherever God has placed us, that's the very blessed place ever, right? I don't know if you're aware of this or not. I I didn't learn this until I moved out into this area. Do you know that when people who were born in Idaho go to heaven, they have to get chained up while they're in heaven? I don't know if you knew that or not. They go and you go to the pearly gates or whatever, and they chain you to like this big cinder block, and you have to drag it along the streets of gold. You know why? Because otherwise they'd all try to come home on the weekends because it's so good here, right? (laughs) We just tend to think wherever we're from, that's the best place, right? Don't get me started on Texas. That that notion didn't originate in the United States of America. People have had prejudicial feelings about their hometown as long as there have been hometowns. Read the history. Aristotle, probably a phenomenally intelligent guy. He was prejudiced. He was prejudiced against people who were not Greek. He wrote about it often. He explained that the world's climate actually explained the difference between the Greeks and the barbarians. This is what he wrote. He said, the people who live in the cold lands to the north have plenty of courage, plenty of spirit, but very little skill and intelligence. Those who live in the south where it's warmer, they've got plenty of skill and intelligence and culture, very little spirit and courage. Only the Greeks lived in that part of the climate designed by nature to produce this perfectly blended character. It's what Aristotle wrote. Let's be honest, in your head, if you thought Aristotle was talking about Canadians and Southern Californians, (laughs) we're part of the problem. This is how we view things, right? I wish we didn't. We need to stop. For us to join God where he's at work, which, by the way, is our vision here at OCC, we're going to have to be on board with his plan. What's his plan? Eternity is going to consist of people from 
every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And those people are not going to look or act or talk or think like us. So are we willing to die to our own prejudice? Are we willing to die to our own partiality in order to join God on this mission to make disciples who make disciples? That's what we're going to encounter in this passage today. This is such a huge hinge in Scripture. This is where we really start to see the gospel now go out and spread beyond just these Jewish areas. So here's what I want to do. We're going to read the text in its entirety. I might take a break or two just to point some things out. But we're going to read it together so we can focus on our takeaways. We can focus on our application. But this is a hugely important passage. And I'm not just saying that. Luke knows it's important. He mentions it three times in the next five chapters. But this is about how the gospel spreads to people who are not like us. This is really about a geographic extension of the gospel. And that's what allows us to be here in church today studying. But it's going to start with a guy named Peter. He was staying at Joppa. Joppa was over on the Mediterranean coast. And we might be familiar with Joppa because do we remember? That's where Jonah ran when Jonah was going to hide. Why? Because God wanted him to go share the gospel with people who were not like him. And Jonah didn't like that idea. We tend to make Jonah this great missionary. If you remember Wesley and Brenton ruined this idea in a family Sunday service a while back. Jonah was like an anti-missionary. Jonah didn't want to go to these people. And even when he went to the people, after he shared the good news, he sat and wished that God would just wipe them out, right? Why? Because they were not like him. They were bad people. So he didn't want them to experience grace and peace from God. So here in Acts chapter 10, Peter's over in Joppa. About 30 miles north of Joppa, about 65 miles northwest of Jerusalem, was the Roman provincial capital. It was a place called Caesarea. It's where the governor lived. And under his authority were like 3,000 troops. And serving in this unit was a man named Cornelius. Now, you got to know this. We've talked about this a bunch. The Jews hated the fact that the Romans were in their place. Roman occupation of Palestine bothered them so much. And we see this over and over in the Bible. And what happens because of it, the Jews hated the Romans. That's why they truly hoped when Jesus came, he would be the Messiah who would usher in this political realm. And he would be in charge and they would get to kick the Romans around. That's what he wanted. And so the stage is set. We have this God-fearing Gentile Roman soldier named Cornelius, but he's representing the despised occupation of Israel. He's there residing in the main city of the Roman occupation. And now 30 miles south, we've got Peter. Got this Jewish apostle temporarily staying at the place where Jonah had gone when he was disobedient to God's call to preach to Israel's enemy. And behind the scenes, what's happening? God is bringing these two guys together. He's orchestrating these events in a way that's going to shock both of them, but it's going to break down this wall of prejudice between them. And we know it worked because here we are studying God's word. It's timeless, living, active word when it was not originally written to us. <laughs> we are the bar, 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 barbarians in this, right? Follow along. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. We'll have this up on the Sky Bible if you need it. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. It says he's a centurion, which means he's a Roman officer in charge of 100 men. He was part of the Italian cohort. That's just a larger group. That's like 600 soldiers. But Cornelius is a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously. He's giving to the people, and he prayed continually to God. He's a good guy. 
About the ninth hour of the day, that's 3 p.m. according to our clock today, Cornelius saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius! And he stared at him in terror, and so would you. And he said, what is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, your prayers, your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Here's what you're going to do. Verse 5, send men to Joppa. Bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with another guy named Simon. That's not confusing. He's a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to Cornelius had departed, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among them. Remember, he's in charge of a hundred guys. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Cornelius doesn't go. He sends his guys, right? The next day, they're on their journey. Remember, this is miles away. And approaching the city, Peter's there. Simon the Tanner's house. He's up on the housetop about the sixth hour. That's about noon, right? That's lunchtime. He's up there to pray. Well, he became hungry because it's lunchtime. He wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, Peter fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. What was in it? All kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, okay. No, he didn't say that. Verse 14, Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And so we don't get this, but we certainly assume there are animals here included that were considered unclean back in the day. But now they're showing up on the menu, right? And this is our buddy Peter, who has made it a little bit of a habit to ignore the things that God tells him to do, right? Do you remember this back in Matthew chapter 16 when he's having that conversation with Jesus and Jesus says, I got to go to the cross. And Peter goes, oh no, no, not you, Jesus. And you remember what Jesus said to him? Worst rebuke you never get. Get behind me, Satan. Peter's the guy in John's gospel when Jesus comes to wash everybody's feet. Do you remember what Peter said? No, no, not me. Peter seems to have a little bit of a track record here, right? And so what's his first response? Not going to happen. Not going to rise, not going to kill, not going to eat. I don't do that. Verse 15. Voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. That apparently didn't work. 16. This happened three times. And finally, the thing, this vision of the great sheet with all the tasty food was taken up into heaven. Now, I don't know this for sure, okay? I can't really say this. But why does Jesus have to do this? Why does God have to do this three times with Peter? We know Peter denied Jesus three times. We know Peter then had to go back and affirm his love for Jesus three times. Is that why this happens three times? I don't know. It's probably not relevant. I just think it's cool. Anyway, Peter gets this instruction three times. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, who shows up? These men who were sent by Cornelius. Having made inquiry for Simon's house, because nobody had Google Maps, they stood at the gate, and they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And so while Peter's pondering this vision, the Spirit says to him, Hey, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. That's really important, because otherwise these three guys show up, and Peter goes, I'm not going to those guys, right? But Peter tells him, you're going to go. And so Peter went down to the men. He said, I'm the one you're looking for. But he asked this question, which is a great question. It's the question we would ask. What's the reason for your coming? And they tell him, verse 22, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what you have to say. Would that work for us? 
Works for Peter, verse 23. So he invited these guys to be his guests, these guys who were not like him, these guys who were from outside the fold. Next day he rose and he went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Brothers means the other Christ followers. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. What had he done? He'd called together his relatives, his close friends, guys who were not Christ followers. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, and he fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And even Peter knows that's wrong. <laughs> We're only supposed to worship God. So what does he say? Verse 26. Dude, stand up. I, too, am a man. And as he talked with him, he goes in. He finds many persons gathered. And Peter said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. And again, we got to get this. This is this prejudice. This is this dividing line. The two did not mix. They didn't mingle. This is a huge hinge in how we read the Bible. Now it's going to be going out to everybody for sure. Peter says, but God has shown me, what? That I should not call any person common or unclean. That's the message Peter got from the meat sheet coming down and all the stuff. He's like, oh, oh, I think I get it. I'm not supposed to judge like that. So then I was sent for. I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. This is brilliant. Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, we know this story. I was praying in my house. Ninth hour, behold, a man stood before me. Bright clothing, we know he's an angel. Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa. Ask for Simon, not that Simon. He's lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, here we are. We're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. Peter shows up to the most divinely prepared audience that has ever been assembled, right? God says, I'm going to put these guys in this room. I've got a preacher that I'm wanting to come, and he's going to come, and he's going to share this message. And that's a preview for next week. We'll, we'll get to see what Peter does plugged into the Holy Spirit. He's just going to crush the gospel presentation. But today, what are we going to focus on today? What can we learn and apply from this text? Grabbed an outline coming in. I think there's some pretty clear takeaways. And the first one is the most challenging one by far. It's hard to hear about, about how our sin nature affects us, but we are prone to prejudice. And God wants to break us of that prejudice. Why? So that we can be used by him, so we can join him in his work. A lot of us don't think we're prejudiced. I get that. You hear the story about the two apples that were in the tree? There were two apples in a tree and they were looking down at mankind and they were looking at all the fighting. They were looking at all the wars and all the, the raging that's going on and people fighting over everything under the sun and these two apples are talking and they said, you know, no one seems interested in trying to get along with his fellow man. The first apple said, someday, you know, we apples are going to be the only ones left and then we'll rule the world. And the second apple said, which one of us, the red or the green? We're all prone to prejudice. We're all prone to partiality. Now recognize this from the text. Peter had prejudices, but he didn't get it. He was largely blind to them. And that's why God put him in this scenario. God winds up shocking Peter into encountering what his prejudice was so that Peter could join him on mission. God shocks Peter and Peter is obedient 
and, and here's the beauty of this. I, I was trying to think how I could do this, how I could walk out on stage today in a way that would just be like immediately divisive. Like, what could I do to walk out here? And, and like, I thought I could get like a, you know, a henna arm tattoo sleeve thing or I could dye what little bit of hair I have or I could come out smoking a cigarette or wearing a 49ers jersey, you know, something really divisive. And uh, just, just to prove that we do this, right? That's what we do. There are groups of people in this world grouped by whatever, race or gender or occupation or social belief, or political belief, or appearance, whatever. There are groups of people we just don't like. And church, we have to be so careful that we don't let that dislike stop us from sharing the gospel with them. Because that is our mission. That's what Peter sees here. Peter could have easily said, centurions, dude, I'm not going to a centurion. Those guys are Roman soldiers. Those guys are all wicked. They're worldly. They're sensual. They're pagan. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go talk to this Cornelius guy. Cornelius could have really thrown a wrench in this whole thing when the angel came to him. Go to who? Unclean dude staying in an unclean place? You want me to learn something from an uneducated Jewish guy? He's probably never been out of Palestine. I'm a world traveler. I've been, what's this guy going to teach me? If that had been Cornelius' attitude, he would have missed out on the blessing. Here's what I've noticed that we do sometimes, and I am as guilty of this as anybody. Sometimes we read the Bible to use what we find to justify our prejudices. We'll justify it. We'll see a person who goes, no, that person's a sinner. So I don't have to share the gospel with them. And we don't recognize we're reading Scripture through the lens of our own prejudices. We just don't want to hang out with that person. We just don't want to be with that group of people. So instead of remembering big picture that eternity is going to be about every tribe and tongue and nation, we just want to leave some people out because we don't like what they're doing. And it's worse when the thing that they're doing is something that's prohibited by Scripture. So we feel justified. We forget the Great Commission. We forget the call to make disciples who make disciples. We just rush to play in God. That person's a sinner, so they don't need to hear about Jesus. No! <laughs> That person's a sinner, so they need to hear about Jesus. That's exactly what it is. We got to tell them about Jesus first. Because here's the deal. If that sinner winds up professing faith in their Savior, they will have what? Boom! The dunamis. The Holy Spirit within them. And the Holy Spirit convicts a heck of a lot better than we can. That's the thing that God could use to change that person. I've been guilty of, of missing that. But we see the struggle here in the Bible. And we know it's true. The, the early apostles struggled with this. The call was to go out and, and make disciples of all the nations, right? And so they're supposed to go out and share the gospel with everybody. But up until this point, they're, they're kind of going out and going, oh, there's a Jewish guy, I'll go talk to him. Forget that Gentile guy, he's a bar, 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 bar you know. Oh, there's another Jewish guy. I'll go talk to him. And so it looked like they were trying to just spread it to the Jewish people. But that's not the way it's supposed to work. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying go out and just spread this kumbaya message of, well, God loves everybody. And, and so we just have to be tolerant about people practicing things that the Bible calls sin. No, I'm just, we have to remember that we're all sinners. <laughs> we have to remember that we all need a Savior. If we're here and we're in Christ, what does that mean? We're just forgiven sinners. And we're now plugged in so that we can grow 
to be more like Jesus. We're not any better. (laughs) We're just now saved because of God's grace. We need to share that truth. An author named Brennan Manning, he wrote a book that I really appreciate. Manning had been a Franciscan priest, but he wrote a book about God's grace. It's about our inability to save ourselves. It's called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And in this book, Brennan Manning shares this thought, which really resonates with me today as much as when I first read it. He said, the whole of Christianity, the entirety of Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where he found some food. That's the heart of evangelicalism. (laughs) It's not that we're special. It's that we found the food by God's grace. We're all sinners in need of a savior. And if we're honest with ourselves, we probably all have some prejudices we need to die to in order to share God's good news to everybody we come in contact with. And that's God's desire for us. His desire is to break us of our prejudice, break us of our partiality so that we can join him in his work. Don't lose sight of that fact because did you see what happened in the text? God sent an angel to Cornelius. Don't you know that angel could have told Cornelius everything he would ever needed to know about the gospel, about stinking everything, right? But in a nod to relational connection, in a nod to us joining God, the angel put Peter and Cornelius together. Why? Because God wants to use us. He wants us to join him in this work of sharing the gospel, of making disciples. And because God is a whole lot smarter than we are and really funny, he put a Jewish guy and a Gentile soldier together. He put these two guys who would now have no love for one another and made them the principal players in this story. So for this to work, what do they both have to do? Put aside their prejudices. And then God uses this sheet full of meat to deliver this lesson to Peter. All lives matter. Don't be writing people off. Don't try and think that someone's not worthy. If God created them, they're worthy. They have God-given value. So in this passage, both Peter and Cornelius are used by God, but not before God puts them in a very uncomfortable position. Where does that meet us today? Are we looking at the world around us and saying, wow, God, did you put me in this particular set of circumstances so that I will get out of my comfort zone and maybe share the gospel with somebody who's not like me? Or did he find us like Peter and we're hiding over here in Joppa going, no, no, I don't want to, I'm not going to go tell anybody about Jesus and, and God has to drag us out of there and put us in the spot that he wants us to be. We can join him in a way where he gets the glory as we share with every tribe and tongue and nation. I mentioned that Paul in Corinth said he, you know, becomes weak to win the weak. Well, the story behind that is that, and Paul knows, he, he didn't win anybody. Paul went out just to be used by God. I've never led anybody to the Lord in my life. God has just used me to go share the gospel, and he's the one who's drawn people to himself. He gets the glory. But it's a blessing when he uses us. Will we join in? Or do we get mad when God exposes our partiality? That's the last takeaway. What are we supposed to do when God confronts our prejudice? Well, the beautiful thing is he confronts Peter, and Peter was obedient. He wasn't immediately obedient. (laughs) That might make us feel better. I don't know. He starts out by no means, Lord, which is just 
funny when you think about it because when he says, Lord, he knows who's doing the asking and he still says no. But he eventually figured out why God was showing him this vision about eating defiled foods, right? And he says, well, that's not going to defile you. And Peter makes the leap. He's like, well, if, if eating the unclean foods won't defile me, then hanging out with the unclean people also won't defile me. I love that God gave Peter that lesson while he was hanging out in an unclean place. As Forrest mentioned last week, he's here at Simon the Tanner's house. So Peter gets it. We don't have a lot of time to, to walk through this, but, but I do want to point this out because th- this was a really hard lesson, not just for Peter, but for all the Christ followers at the time. Because Jesus had already taught this. He taught it back in Mark chapter 7, if you remember that. He's like, I've come as the fulfillment. So you don't have to worry anymore about the, the clean and unclean foods. He had shared that with them way back then. But the church didn't get it until Acts chapter 10. Until Peter has this vision about the food. And now he's obedient to go to Cornelius and his Gentile group. Peter got it, but not everybody got it at that time. Most of the Jews didn't. This is a really, really big leap for them. So I want you to play a game with me and, and play along and don't say anything out loud. This isn't a big deal. But this is between you and God. Will you in your mind picture a person or a group of people, the one group of people you're like, I could never go and share the gospel with them. I could never go and share the good news that God wants a relationship with us with that person. You don't tell me who it is, but think about that and realize that's exactly what's happening in this text. That's what's happening between the Jews and the Gentiles at this point in time. There was no intermingling. They were the star belly sneeches and the sneeches without stars. They weren't going to play together. And God comes in and tears that down. Would we be willing to do that? Peter got it. Not everybody was on board. We're going to see in the next few weeks. Peter gets a lot of grief for going and eating with the Gentiles. And folks, if we go to some people groups, if we go to some races, if we go to some tribes, some tongues that that not everybody's on board with, we're going to catch some of that grief. If we go to share the gospel with somebody and people come and say, well, why are you hanging out with that person? Do you approve of that person? Do you approve of the lifestyle? Do Do you approve of whatever? No. But I want them to know Jesus. And I don't think anybody else is carrying the gospel to them. So I'm not telling them I approve of the way they're living their lives. I want them to know Jesus. Is that how we're going to go out to do this? Can we explain to our critics, I'm concerned about people's eternity. I just want people to hear and respond to the gospel. Are we going to treat people who are not like us like Jesus would treat them? Are we going to treat them like they're beggars, but we know where the food is? I think that's the call God is placing on our lives. And you see that in Peter, Peter's evidence of it, because he shows up and Cornelius drops to him and Peter doesn't go, yeah, I get it, I'm kind of a big deal. He says, dude, get up. This is to me is is one of the, the great things to help us overcome our prejudice, our partiality. Just treat other people, no matter their belief, no matter their race, no matter their occupation, treat other people as though they are valued by God because they are. And when we do that, I think we'll clearly start to see more and more and more opportunities to join God where he's at work. We'll get to look at that next week. Luke sets the stage for that in this last verse, which I think is brilliant. We saw it in verse 33. Hey, Peter, I sent for you at once. You've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here. 
the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. Man, what a ripe situation for God to pierce hearts. And so God brings the preacher he wants to the audience he wants. And we're going to see next week, Peter doesn't even get to finish the message. That's how little a role preachers play sometimes in God's plan. Peter doesn't even finish what he's going to say, and and the Holy Spirit falls on everybody. They all get saved. It's a great story. Come back next week. We'll see that after God exposed Peter's prejudice. Peter didn't get offended. What did he do? He got busy. He got moving. He joined God. He preached. I think that's the application for all of us. Every tribe. Every tongue. Every nation. Let me close with this. History tells us General Robert E. Lee was a Christ follower. After the American Civil War ended, and remember that was a war fought primarily about race-based slavery. And not just the moral issue of race-based slavery, but the political ramifications, the economic ramifications. But after that Civil War ended... General Robert E. Lee was visiting a church in Washington, D.C. And during the portion of their service where they took communion, General Robert E. Lee came forward and he knelt down right next to a black guy. And several people in the body freaked out. And after the service was over, they rushed to him. General Lee, what are you doing? How could you have done that? This is what Robert E. Lee was reported to have said. My friend... All ground is level beneath the cross. Do we believe that? Is that the way we live on this planet? We recognize all ground is level, and so we got to lay aside all our preferences, all our prejudices, as Peter did in this passage, as Cornelius did, in order to join God where he's at work, in every tribe, tongue, nation, people. I pray that we will. God bless you guys. I sure do love you. Let's pray. Daddy, this is a huge call on our life. It's easy to give the folks we see in the Bible a little bit of grace for for not grasping this, not running with it, because we know it and we still struggle today. We have to die to ourselves in order to be able to carry the gospel. God, help us. Help me. I struggle with this so mightily at times. God, I know that your call is for me to go out and, and be a disciple maker. And yet I'll sit in Joppa or wherever. Oh, God, I don't know that I can go to that person. Yeah. If I'm plugged into your power, I can. God, help us to do that. And again, not in a way where we're going to think we can win anybody. God, help us to do that in a way where you get all the glory because of your plan for eternity. God, we love you and we praise you. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have the opportunity, first Sundays, first Mondays of the month, we get to take communion together. This is really special for us. So if this is one of your first times here at the church, I hope you grabbed coming in one of the little um, containers that's got the, the juice and the bread. If you didn't, they're right outside the door, and there's some right up here on the stage. Come grab one of those. So what we're going to do, the, the worship team's going to lead us in, in a great song. But what I want each one of us to do is spend this time communing with the Lord. That's what the Lord's Supper is about. It's about us drawing close to God. And Scripture kind of tells us what we're supposed to do in this time. It says we're supposed to examine ourselves and confess our sins. That's where we truly have the communion. That's where we draw close to the Lord. And so right now, examine yourself. Is God calling you to go to a particular person, a particular group of people who aren't like you? 
who don't think like you or talk like you or act like you? Is God calling you to be Peter, to be Cornelius at this time and go, hey, we don't have a whole lot of common ground here, but I'm a beggar who found the food. I'd like to tell you where the food is. Can we do that? For God's glory, not for our own. With the the nature of this ordinance, the the juice just represents Christ's blood spilled on the cross for us. The, The bread represents Christ's body bruised and crushed for us. So here's the deal. We don't have to do this all together. You do your business with the Lord you don't sing a word to the song, that's fine because you're, you're hanging out with the Lord. There's no time limit on this. <laughs> if you need to spend a lot of time with the Lord and you're here way after the song's done, that's fine. The doors will lock behind you. You'll be great. But spend this time with the Lord because that's his desire to remind us of the sacrifice he made for us when we go out and sacrifice by dying to our partiality, to our prejudice. Spend this time taking communion. If you worship along in song, that's great. If God is really convicting you and you want to talk to somebody, you want to pray with somebody, there'll be folks at the cross afterward. But right now, let me pray for the bread and the cup. Father God, thank you for this chance to remember symbolically you making the sacrifice of love where you sent your son, our savior, to the cross to pay the wages for our sin. And God, when we profess faith in him, now we get the opportunity to, to spend eternity with you in heaven. But, but you don't whisk us up there the second we profess faith. You leave us here so that we can be your ambassadors, so we can be your witnesses, so we can go out and share the gospel, not just with people who look like us. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, God, give us a heart for your people. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care, and God bless.